Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, as a report suggests restrictions could be in place at least until July, is there a plan B if coronavirus restrictions continue to rise? We all need to be prepared for the reality, which is the situation is going to get worse before it gets better. That is the unfortunate truth of where we are right now. The government invests $2 billion to boost the supply of medical equipment. We know that the demand for critical equipment and supplies will grow in the coming weeks, so we need a sustainable, stable supply of these products. And that means making them at home, and we're optimistic that they will be available in the coming weeks. Questions about testing equipment coming to Canada from China after reports of faulty equipment being sent to some European countries. There is inspection to make sure that the specifications are met. In addition, we are making sure that in China there is quality control on the ground there. I have been in close touch with Ambassador Dominic Barton um, actually every single day to make sure that we have people on the ground in China who are assisting us with our procurements there. It's Wednesday, April the 1st. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by author and op-ed columnist for the Chronicle Herald, Dan Legere. Good morning, Dan. Hi, Mark. There is a report in the National Post that says there's a government document that suggests best-case scenario, the restrictions that are in place now would be here until July. Now, it's an Immigration Department report Uh, So it's not clear whether the restrictions that are being referred to here are the social distancing restrictions, uh, the closure of schools and all of that, or whether it just pertains to uh, border security uh, and freedom of movement out in and out of the country. Uh, So we're not sure. It's a little bit vague. But this is the first time that we've seen an internal government document that shows just how long some of this may go on. Yeah, um, in in some ways, it's not surprising to hear that um, you know because the the job of internal planners in this government, any other government around the world, is to make forecasts and to give the actual policy makers in the government the opportunity to to uh, choose from a menu of options depending on how severe the issue is, uh, and so uh, I think. There are very few people, I think, in Canada right now who think that this is going to sort of end by the middle of April or the end of April, uh, even though today's only the start of it. Uh, the start of April, it, it does seem quite clear this is going to go on for a little while because the number of cases is increasing in every single province by the day. And um, it's, it's not going the other way. There's no uh, flattening yet of the curve, uh, as far as we know. It's still building. So um, I'm not surprised in a way uh, that there's a number being put out there. And I think I do understand why the government itself or, say, the prime minister doesn't really want to start putting dates on things because then people naturally expect certain things to happen by certain dates. And this we're not really running this uh, this pandemic, the, the viruses. And um, so that's why I can understand the government wanted to see all the options that are available to it, uh, but being by be, being reluctant 
to get nailed down to certain dates and times and timelines. It's just not realistic. Yeah. And you're right. I, I don't think that date is going to come as a shock to anybody uh, because there are uh, many people speculating that this will be months rather than weeks. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it is interesting to see it quantified in that way. One of the things that I wonder about is we are all looking at the data every day, the number of cases province by province and across the country. And yet at the same time, we know that that doesn't tell the whole story because not everybody's being tested. So uh, how do we make decisions when the information isn't complete? You know, that is precisely the problem for ordinary citizens and even for the government. I mean, uh, you know, the government's information is incomplete. It knows that. Uh, you uh, mentioned, you know, the number of tests that are being done. I mean, that's being rapidly uh, ramped up. But at the same time, there are people who are asymptomatic. They're not getting tested. They're not sick. You know, they, they have no reason to think they they are at any jeopardy or, or uh, any uh, threat to their family members or friends. So, you know, this is the, the subtle and insidious way this virus spreads. Um, it makes it almost impossible to say, yes, this is the sum total of our information. We know everything possible to know. That That is just not going on. I mean, you can measure things going on in the economy. And I mean, there's just every day there's another mind-boggling uh, figure or another coming out from, from the economy. Those things, I think, are going to be measurable in ways that are not as clear or as complete as you would get on the, say, on the virus side, the pan pandemic side, the human side of this. Um, and our, our systems are not set up in the same way either. And so it's, it's really hard on the psyche of all of us to, to try to cope with this uncertainty. Uh, because, you know, most people around the world, and I think Canadians have shown this in times past, that they can handle things as long as they understand what's going on. It's not knowing that people find so stressful. And, and that's the point we're in right now. And there's economic uncertainty as well. And, and yesterday there was a lot of talk about the airline industry, uh, thousands of layoffs in that industry. Uh, apparently there are discussions being held about a possible bailout. Uh, and we're going to see more of that with other industries as well, no doubt. Oh, for sure. And, uh, you know, a lot will depend on whether you're in an industry that is vital to keeping the national economy going. I mean, airlines are vital to that. Now, passenger um, air transportation obviously is going to be at an extremely low level for a long time to come. I mean, people aren't jumping on the plane to go on the golf trip to, you know, the Okanagan Valley or uh, sightseeing in Newfoundland. You're not going to be visiting your aunt in Quebec City. So it's that is obviously a, a huge um, gap right there, but I mean, you have to keep the airlines running because they're carrying vital parts of the national supply chain as well. And, and you know, food, medicine supplies, all these things that are uh, really important to the national economy. And if people can't go down to their local mall or big box stores and go shopping around, they're going to be ordering more stuff online. And the system itself has to be maintained so that uh, that is still an option. Uh, for safe shopping, if you will. So uh, um, it's it's really become complicated that way. 
but the, I would not be the least bit surprised to see bailouts coming in, in certainly in the airlines. It's something there to keep them afloat. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, other ways the government is responding. Uh, it announced yesterday $2 billion for uh, for health supplies and equipment. Uh, there's a shipment coming from China, of course, but there are concerns about whether some of that equipment might be faulty because that has been the experience in Europe. Uh, there does feel uh, a little bit like there's a, a sort of a scrambling that's going on here at times to get what's needed. And I know some medical experts uh, have said we should have been better prepared for this. I know this is an unusual circumstance, but uh, but should we have had more masks? Should we have had more tests available uh, in preparation for a pandemic like this? Well, I think on the masks and that type of personal protective equipment for for people in the healthcare uh, for healthcare workers especially. I mean, doctors and nurses uh, and people working in the hospitals, janitors and everybody have to have the best possible protection of every sort. Um, you know, whether they could have had a test, I don't think they could have because this is, as they call it, a novel coronavirus. It, it was not there was no known test for it at the start of this whole process and the whole world, the World Health Organization and national governments in, in virtually every country, academics and researchers, uh, have been in a full court press developing these, these tests for now some weeks. And they are having a lot of success in developing faster, more accurate and better testing. But that's one area that really you couldn't do much until the virus emerged. Now, could they have all moved faster? Sure, they could have. Um, you know, the, a lot of this was hampered by the Chinese government's lack of transparency, and they're covering up what was going on. And then it doesn't help when you have influential governments in other parts of the world, like the Trump administration or, or the British administration, um, downplaying the effects of it and sort of laughing it off and saying, oh, it's just the flu and, and things like that. All of those um, points of view tended to slow down the global response to this. And so that is what is shaking out now. I, I mean, I'm confident that the you know the genius people of the world are working on on remedies for this and and treatments for COVID-19. And I'm sure the genius people in the economy are are on full blast making more protective equipment. But it's again, the supply chain has to be there, and the, there has to be ways of getting all that stuff to the people who need it wherever they are in Canada. So. Uh, $2 billion from the feds to uh, work on this um, may only just be the start because uh, this isn't going away. All right. Dan, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us today. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, Mark. Take care. That's Dan Legere, author and op-ed columnist for the Chronicle Herald. This situation has been evolving rapidly, as we all know. We're putting in place unprecedented measures to respond to the needs that people are expressing on how we're going to be able to get through this together. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In McLean's, Michael Valpe and Frank Graves argue, we are witnessing a seismic shift in the collective behavior of Canadians. They write, it would be difficult to overstress the unprecedented nature of the dramatic hope and faith that government will save the country. Hence the diminution of the seemingly unbreakable hold that partisanship and regional polarization had on the country only a few weeks ago. What Canadians are doing is telling their governments to do whatever it takes to make things right. 
In the Globe and Mail, Ken Bosenkuhl argues Canada's pandemic jobs plan isn't as useful as sending Canadians a check. Bosenkuhl writes, To its credit, the federal government's response has not been tepid, but proactively sending a direct deposit or check to the 28.5 million Canadians who filed income taxes last year remains a more effective and efficient plan. We do not know how deep and wide the current economic dislocation will be. Canada needs a policy that overshoots by design and is as universal as possible. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues banks must follow their promises to help with action. The Star writes, The big banks are offering immediate financial relief for customers struggling to afford their next mortgage, loan or credit card payment. But it comes with strings that mean the consumer or small business will end up paying more over the long term. That's particularly true with credit cards. Reducing credit card interest rates and making it easier to shift credit card debt to lower interest lines of credit would make a big difference for many people struggling through this crisis. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Andrew Scheer will speak with the media this morning in Regina to comment on the Trudeau government's handling of the coronavirus crisis. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more on that. Mark, Andrew Scheer will meet with reporters at 10 a.m. Eastern Time to lay out the Conservatives' concern for what they say are the shortcomings in the Trudeau government's response to the coronavirus crisis. Now, while the NDP has been calling for more support to Canadians over and above the $107 billion the government has already announced this last week and the tens of billions of dollars more that it's announced for small businesses this week, the main focus of the Conservatives will be tax cuts. This will be their chance to renew their call for the cancellation of the government's carbon tax. Their argument will be that the economy has taken such a hit that it is no time to impose another tax on Canadians. They'll also argue that the economic slowdown has been so monumental that the emission levels will be drastically cut for the foreseeable future anyway. Now, the Trudeau government, of course, argues that with its backstop in jurisdictions where it has imposed the carbon tax, Canadian consumers actually come out ahead. This is a delicate time for opposition parties to be criticizing the government for its massive economic response to the crisis, as most polling indicates that Canadians agree with the approach that the government has taken. And many Canadians of all political stripes seem to agree that a massive economic stimulus is all but inevitable in most of the modern industrialized economies. So Mark, it'll be interesting to watch the balancing act that the opposition has to perform when Mr. Scheer speaks this morning. Thanks, Martin. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, April 1st. Tune in to CPAC throughout the day today for continuing coverage of the coronavirus crisis and primetime politics tonight. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.